This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, the second hour. In this hour, we're going to talk about arrogance, sex addiction, and also uh, a little bit more about weddings. And um, got some other subjects coming up as well. Some of the negative or inappropriate messages that you may get from sex manuals and also what are some of the professions with the most psychopaths in them? It's not nurses, I don't think. But right now, we are going to talk about royal or not. Weddings can be stressful. I have a couple in my clinical practice whose child is getting married and they are uh, actually suffering, their relationship is suffering because their daughter has an addiction problem, and she is meant to be the maid of honor for her sister's wedding. But they have a backup because she's pretty unreliable because of her addiction. So drama, dysfunctional families, does not discriminate. We can ha- we have it all. And one woman who has seen it all is Jennifer Logan Manser. She has fitted a number of brides for their dress and has been witness to a lot of dysfunction in her career, especially around the drama that families can bring on at the wedding bell. Once the wedding bells ring. Good evening, Jennifer. Hey, Maureen. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. So first and foremost, you are the the wedding dress expert. What did you think of Meghan Markle's, the Duchess of Sussex's wedding dress? I thought it was fabulous. It looked so good on her. Okay. It was perfect. <laughs> so some people felt it was too uh, it was too big on her and that it was and it buckled in the front and that it was the wrong fabric. It was trip tri- fabric. It was triple organza silk and that it was a bit of a stiff fabric. I'm a, a bit of a seamstress. I have uh, sewn quite a bit in my short life. <laughs> and um, so I'm a fabric expert. Like I, you know, you know, what drapes and what doesn't drape properly. Um, did you notice that? Well, I noticed the second dress, the second dress, because she had two dresses. Yes. And the second dress just, it was just fabulous. Maureen, I don't know. I just, I loved it. I, the, I thought both of them were, were stunning. I did. And if I get, were to give my honest opinion, I Although I love silk organza, I do think that uh, a better, a different fabric may have been, may have hung oh, differently on sucks. her. <laughs> okay, there we go. We're not allowed to say that we on the agree air, Jennifer. On the fabric. Okay, so, um, but the second dress was absolutely stunning as well. But we're going to talk about the drama of weddings that uh, oh. dysfunctional families, and not even dysfunctional families, functional families, if there are any out there. If there is one out there, give me a call, one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. But um, the families, it can be a time of stress when somebody is getting married. It can be extremely stressful if your parent is getting married for the second time or if your child is marrying somebody that you don't agree with. There's a number of different reasons. People maybe begin to look at their own issues at the time of a wedding um, so have you seen this dysfunctional drama associated with weddings? Oh, God, Maureen, I could share so many stories. I'll go into one story, though. Um, just recently, a friend of mine, she was engaged to be married, and her and her fiancé had a fight, and she swallowed her engagement ring. Nice. So that's how <laughs> bad it gets. <laughs> Do you think that is a red flag for him to say, uh, I'm going to rethink this? I think so. And I di- think so. And did he? I'm not surprised you know if what? he didn't. I have seen so much drama. It's just, 
I could, I could share. We could write a book. <laughs> we could write a book. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't cancel the wedding because most people have this undying hope that they think something is going to change or they are too embarrassed to actually say, hey, you know what? I decided to call it off because my fiance swallowed her engagement ring. Exactly, right? <laughs> But they don't do that. About 15 years later, they end up in my office in typically a sexless marriage. And then, you know, the truth comes out and they say, well, you know, there was a bit of a red flag early on. She swallowed the engagement ring in an, in a, an act of rage. Um, yeah. So how about mothers-in-law or, or mothers even? And, and in terms of choosing a dress, do they get involved and... Might they impact the choice? They do get involved, Maureen. It can be ugly. I just, um, I've seen that too. Like, it's all say, well, we talked about this last year about say yes to the dress, and it's all about the dress. But you know what? Who cares about the dress? Right. (laughs) Who cares about the dress? Well, a bride does want to look good on her wedding day, and, and it has to be something that she feels comfortable in, that she feels good in. It really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, but I would imagine a lot of people would have a lot of opinions. And it, did you see people, brides bringing in eight to ten people to weigh in on the dress that she may choose? Absolutely. And if if she never got the thumbs up from all of them or, or the mother-in-law or the sister or the whoever, you know, didn't chime in with their opinion, she would walk away without a dress. And she relied totally on the audience. And, and that speaks to self-confidence in a woman, I think. You know, I, I think we saw in Meghan Markle a, a certain degree of confidence. She, she faced a very extreme dysfunction in her family. Her father was not going to turn up. And you know what? We really don't. I believe half of what I read and none of what I hear. I, I go by that in life. So we really don't know if her father was there. Maybe he was there tucked away in the back of the church. We don't know. Um, but, you know, the the message to the world was that he was not going to be there. So that had to be extremely stressful for her. But she held her head high. She walked down that aisle, as, as very few brides have done in the past, if ever, by herself, um, to be received by and walked down the aisle um, by Prince Charles. So, and with the world watching. So she had to have been under a tremendous amount of stress, not to mention joining the royal family. And so what does this do um, at, at, at the beginning of a marriage? I mean, I see it 10, 15, 20 years later. Um, but what what do these little red flags mean early on? That's, that's a tough one, you know. Um, I know her father was sick. He couldn't attend the wedding. Um, well, hang on a second. A the week before, though, that uh, before that, he did sell $100,000 worth of photos to the paparazzi, uh, and then he conveniently got heart disease the next week. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> which he looked like somebody who had heart disease. Um, but nonetheless, so there's a lot more to that story and probably a lot more that we, don't underst- that we don't understand. But the pressures of a wedding can surface tensions both within the family and between the soon-to-be in-laws. And so some of the things like um, the in-laws don't feel like they have as many uh, guests to invite at, because the, bride typic- the bride's parents typically pay for a wedding, at least where I'm from. That doesn't seem to happen here. But um, the bride's family pays for the wedding, and then they allow the groom to, you know, invite. If there's 200 people at the wedding, if they're a nice bride's family, they say, you can invite 100. And still, some in-laws won't be happy with that. I know. (laughs) The stories go on and on. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And have you seen weddings break up because the stress is too much? Absolutely. I've seen weddings 
stops the day before the wedding after the the bride has sunk fifty thousand dollars into a wedding and doesn't show up because the mother-in-law you know gave her grief or something didn't happen i've seen some cancellations i've seen wedding dress cancellations i've seen engagements breakups it's just it's i don't i don't know and i don't know maureen do you think it's it's stress and do you think the couple would ever be able to get back together again I've seen that too. It's, but I, I think people are just falling in love with the idea of gay marriage with, rather than falling in love with the idea of falling in love. And that's a big problem, and that's a lot of what I see in my clinical practice. And the next segment that I'm going to be talking about relates to exactly that. They've married the wrong person. They end up in a sexless marriage and can and then present to my clinical practice believing, often erroneously, that they have a sex addiction. Jennifer Logan Manser, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate the chat. When I come back, we're going to talk about the men who believe they have a sex addiction. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have a question for me, you can call 1-877-399-9898. I got an email from somebody tonight. Um, keep them coming, by the way. Uh, Nurse talk at hotmail.com. But uh, this guy has a great sense of humor. And it's an ad about WD-40, which is like man's lubricant. Not for that. It's for tools and that kind of thing. So this is an ad for... I, I know what... It, Anyway, it's a lubricant like for your, I don't know what guys would lube in the tool shop. But anyway, in that other tool shop, the one that's in the garage. <laughs> so this is, um, it came out in 1964, uh, this particular ad. And it says, and it's it's entitled, and it, we're referring to men's power tools and tools that they would use to fix things around the house. So it, it starts out with, do you have tight nuts or a rusty tool? Then use WD-40 in the man size pressure pack and it says stands nine inches high one and a half inches in diameter uh complete with red knob and it says it makes old tools like new again tools slide in and out with ease lubricates dry passageways makes screwing a pleasure gives better penetration buy some try some keep a spare pack in your car for emergencies wd-40 it's good stuff anyway Thank you for that. Uh, that actually made my night. Anyway, it gave me a good laugh, nonetheless. Hopefully you too. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, men present to my clinical practice, and they I often see trends. And one thing I'm noticing lately in the last few months is that men come in and they're like, I think I have a sex addiction. These men have two things in common. All of the men view porn. And every one of these men are in sexless marriages. And this relates to marrying the right person and looking back at the marriage, you know, at the wedding day and thinking, hmm, was there a red flag? Sex addictions come in different forms, including addiction to voyeurism, excessive fantasy, sadistic or masochistic behavior, excessive sexual pursuits, exhibitionism, prostitution, chronic masturbation, excessive pornography, pornography that interrupts your life. Signs that someone has a sex addiction may be emotional or physical. And it's important to know that with a sex addiction, one may feel powerless over how you act sexually, embarrassed of your sexual thoughts or acts, powerless over your sexual choices or acts. Sexual acts make your life unmanageable. You may feel horrible about your sexual acts or choices. Your thoughts around sex may become ritualistic. And you promise yourself that you stop, but you never do. That you will stop, but you never do. You can't. 
People with sex addiction live with anxiety in a state of turmoil because they are constantly seeking their drug and their drug is sex. And sex addiction is not even about sex. Sex addiction affects every domain of a person's life, personal, professional, financial, etc. Because you are in a sexless marriage and view porn, it doesn't mean you're a sex addict. The sex addiction is controversial by many sex therapists. And it's also controversial amongst the general public as well. And it's not in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, which is the Bible for sexual health dysfunction and disorders. That Some psychologists believe or they stick to the position that unless your behavior involves the ingestion of a substance like alcohol, nicotine, cocaine, or heroin, then it can't really be considered an addiction. I'm of a slightly different mind. I see the turmoil this causes patients. And I do want to say that um, the men who present to my clinical practice wondering if they have a sex addiction because they view porn, because they're in a sexless marriage, you know, they, um, it's, it's related to uh, lack of understanding or education. Uh, this is how they're meeting their biological need. Uh, this same, by the same token, this can happen to women, but women typically don't present and say they believe they have a sex addiction because they view porn, even though women do view porn. I think women have a slightly different understanding around it. A lot of these men feel guilt and they're wondering about this. And I try to put their minds at ease and I'm not a hundred percent that I, that I, can do that. Um, Some researchers and psychologists think that sex addiction just doesn't exist for moral or theoretical reasons. And they've attacked that whole concept of sex addiction and claim that it is a myth. But if you have seen people suffering with a sex addiction, you would, or with behaviors around a sex addiction. And so for the guy who is going to work, making advances towards his wife, she's turning him down, um, and he's going to work and he's making money and he's going to the family dinners and he's, you know, dealing with the kids and his bills aren't behind and he's not getting in trouble at work and those kinds of things. And he's viewing porn perhaps, you know, every other day or even, you know, a couple of times a day. Um, it's, but his life is carrying on in the normal, healthy way. I don't like to use the word normal. Probably doesn't have a sex addiction, but nonetheless, he worries about this as well. Um, because he feels guilt and shame about this. And some people view this as cheating on their wife. And some wives view it as cheating on them as well. And that's just, again, because we have um, little education or inappropriate education about this. We're not educating kids about porn today. And we need to do that because porn is free. And so we need to actually educate children about because children any age can access porn because 80% of the porn in the world is free. So we absolutely need to start to educate um, girls, uh, girls and boys about this. The word addiction has become meaningless because everyone says that, you know, Netflix, they're addicted to, and, and you know what? Netflix is addicting. I think it's the 20 minute mark. They give you a cliffhanger so that uh, they know that your brain is going to get addicted to that. But, um, you know, we throw this word around. Um, you know, you might be addicted to reading or addicted to, sh- to, you know, particular clothing or whatever. Shopping can be an addiction as well or spending money. You can be addicted to 
Um, wealth, which which surprised me. I wish I were addicted to wealth. Anyway, I'm not. Uh, so that would be a good one, though. But some of them are socially acceptable and some of them are not. So before you think that you're, there's something wrong with you, um, understand that um, you know your behavior may in fact be normal, especially if it is not causing distress in your life. So I do Skype consults for people around the globe, and and typically I don't work on the weekends, but because it seems to be overflowing these days, I did schedule. Like much to my chagrin, I scheduled a few appointments yesterday after having pulled an all-nighter to watch the royal wedding. So I, but in the morning I went for a walk with a friend and, and I said, I have to be back by 9.30. I have, you know, four patients that I have to uh, consult with today on, on uh, VC. It's not actually Skype. But um, so I have to go back because, you know, these four couples have 90 years of sexlessness between them. <laughs> so I give my, she said, what are you, she texted me and she said, what are you going to tell those couples? And I said, I'm, I don't know. I'm just going to tell them, just do it. Just take a page out of Nike's book and do it. Obviously, I wasn't thinking on all four cylinders. But no, that's not what I told them. And what I tell them is, and in all of these cases, it was the woman that had low sexual desire. And and so in all of the cases, I do explain. And, and all of the women said um, they hadn't had sex with their husbands for like 10, 15 years. So these are long-term uh, couples that are sexless. And I, I said, you know, what if he cheated? And they said, oh, I, I would leave him. That would be the end. And, you know, and the husband was not going to leave in any of these cases. But so I explained to them that is unfair. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. And he, even though some of them said to me, well, I'm not having my cake and eat it, too. I said, yes, you are. You're wanting to remain in this marriage, but you're not wanting to. And I dare I say, you know, uh, fulfill the duty to your partner. So so just do it. And I got a, a great text back afterward from one of those women and spoke to one of the men today. And I'm going to fill you in on that when I come back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. We're in the final strokes of the program here. Maureen McGrath still hosting the program for you. Um, so I wanted to fill you in on uh, little cases that I had. Um, yesterday, in fact, which I typically don't do because you have to have balance in life, but for some reason I, there were no, there was no other time. So I had about four clients, couples, and they collectively, they had a 90 year dry spell. And, (laughs) and so I was even a little, (laughs) how am I going to deal with this? So I had gone for a walk with a friend and, and she texted me and, and, you know, following up on, on something. And then she said, more importantly, did you repair the 90-year sexual dry spell? I said, ha, ha, ha. I told them all they just had to have sex. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I didn't really, I I knew exactly what I was going to tell them. But um, so I did um, speak with my clients. And I, I have to be really honest sometimes with my clients. No, I have to always be honest with them. They, they typically go to, you know, sometimes I'm the end of the road. And one of the clients yesterday told me that they are seeing another therapist in addition to me. These people have loads of money. And also, um, that, um, that other therapist told them, told her that it was okay to be in a sexless marriage. And I had to say, well, your therapist is wrong because it's not okay to be in a sexless marriage because your husband wants to have sex. So basically, without getting into it too much, I explained that you can't have your cake and eat it too. These women all in this particular cases, in these four cases, all of the women wanted to remain married. None of them wanted to have sex with their husbands. 
all of the husbands felt that the women were delaying, that they had all sorts of excuses that were swirling around why they were not going to have sex. They'd been in therapy for a number of years and they nothing nothing ever changed because they needed the emotional this and that and this didn't work. And so I explained to women. And, and the other thing that is very real is that women can be physically turned off by men's anger or uh, or their physical appearance. And so, you know, I have to be honest there, too. And I have to say, um, you know, guide the person to tell her partner in a loving way that his gut is a turnoff. So for those of you who are sporting a gut out there, just know that it's a turnoff. If you're having a hard time meeting somebody or if your wife doesn't want to have sex with you, look down. <laughs> if you see something, then you that might be the answer. But nonetheless, that's a hard conversation, but you still have to be in truth. That's why you need to say it lovingly. And But also, so these men, even though I provide them with the, the all-in diet plan, lifestyle, they think, oh, it's going to take me even two months to drop, you know, 40 pounds, 50 pounds. And so I'm going to have to wait two months to have sex with her. But then I advise the women, I say, you know, he's trying, I point this out, he is trying, and you need to try as well, you, you've got to get in the game. I have, I have to explain to so many women that sex is for them. Sex is not about servicing a man, sex is, is for the woman as well. So after all of this and explaining that you can't have your cake and eat it too, you can't expect to remain married and reap the benefits of being married, whether that's health and happiness or finances or whatever, or the picture to the neighbors, um, you know, it's important that intimacy is respected in the relationship. And so therefore, to that end, you must take a page out of Nike's book and just do it. And and that works because in long-term relationships for women who have low sexual desire, responsive desire works. So if you don't feel like having sex with your husband, partner, whomever, whether it be male or female, just do it. Advice applies. Because if you do it and then you enjoy it, you get lubricated, excited, and you experience the full range of the female sexual response cycle, plateau, orgasm, release, and you feel amazing afterward, then you think, why didn't I do that before? And so you can enjoy it. But often women don't, ha they need, a lot of women, not all women, but many women need a license to say they can, they can enjoy it. They get caught up in so many other things, the jobs, the kids, the house, whatever, um, that they forget about this sex thing and they put it on the back burner. So I did receive a text after and, <laughs> and it was, Dear Maureen, Gerald and I made mad, passionate love before noon yesterday at your urging. I am really grateful for your honesty and the, and the respect that you have shown the two of us. We are beyond thankful. You are a blessing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I had to follow up with the, the husband today. And the husband said to me, um, I don't know what you said to her, but it worked. He said it was like honeymoon sex. It was like it was in the early days. It was fantastic. And you need to increase your rates, which I'm going to do today. They've quadrupled. I'm kidding. Um, I don't charge too much because I want uh, as many people as possible to act, be able to access this information and, and yet take it seriously. So um, but nonetheless, that's, that's beside the point. So it, you know, it's a good feeling when, you know, just basic common sense advice and straight up talk, uh, can, um, help. And, and I speak to a lot of couples in this way and educating people about, um, sex 
and the importance of it. So I, I felt I did my job. At least yesterday, at least in one of the cases, um, I'll be following up with the rest this week to see where they've gotten to. Because I'll, I'll say you'll need to have sex. Your, your husband is showing. And, and honestly, the guys typically are motivated because they're motivated to have sex. And and so the women have to honor that and they have to respect that and say, OK, he's you know, he's been trying for years and and he's been shot down. And so if we're working on this together, you two together, not me in there, but um, you, we have to you have to do your part and you actually have to have sex with him. No more excuses. No more carrying on. Anyway, so that was a little just a little bit of um, positive news from the clinical practice of Maureen McGrath, the online clinical practice. Anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about arrogance. Uh, it's probably the least favorite quality um, of a person. And, and I have to say it gets my goat as well. It's a stable belief of superiority and, a, and an exaggerated self-importance that is manifested with excessive and presumptuous claims. We all know somebody who is arrogant. They may belittle you without warning in any context. They may talk about you behind your back. You may avoid having to have any contact with this person because you may leave feeling badly. Somebody else rents space in your head. Um, You may feel badly for anything that they say. Uh, There are some... uh, there are some psychological attributes in a specific kind of way that exist in the first place around people with um, arrogance. And there are many path- there are many pathways to success in life, and there are all kinds of reasons for people that um, are pro-social, work hard, um, you know, thinking about being compassionate, thinking about other people, um, you know, so, but niceness is not the only route to success in this game of life. There are some selfish strategies that can benefit a person, and they can often be at a cost to others. And so arrogance, with which focuses on overinflating one's self-worth and belittling, belittling others along the way. I've had that happen to me, where people are just so arrogant, and they just make one statement, boom, knock you down. And you're like, I was just trying to be nice. Um, but it's a dark strategy to a social life. And it's a real measurable psychological quality, and it strongly affects the dynamics of a person's life. <clears throat> Arrogance has been positively related to the expression of anger, which is one of the reasons that arrogant people can succeed. Arrogant people are difficult. People who are rated as arrogant by their supervisors and peers tend to score very low on the personality trait of agreeableness. They're difficult. And what do we do with difficult people? We give in to them. Arrogant people are dominant. Arrogant people believe that they are superior. And arrogant people can attack other people. And that's not really very nice. Um, And so it's tough to deal with arrogant people, but they can be successful. And they can certainly be successful in their own mind in relationships as well, which leads me to... Um, psychopaths. And psychopaths have something called uh, resilience to chaos. And it doesn't mean that they keep a calm under stress. They actually also create the stress for everybody around them. And, you know, I did this TEDx talk um, about no sex marriage, masturbation, cheating, loneliness, and shame. And I uh, rocked during it. So... (laughs) 
Go to YouTube if you want to watch it. It's had over. It's like had like fourteen and a half million views. I think the information resonated with people. But you know, about once every, I don't know, ten thousand views, somebody mentions my rocking, and so today I decided to respond to the rocking, and I said to somebody, um, "Yes, I did rock, and I'm sorry for that." But you know, there's a story behind that, and the story was that I had a stalker at the time um, that I did that. TEDx talk. And that stalker managed to get his way into the green room 30 seconds before I went on to give my TEDx talk, which is unfortunate, but whatever. And that stalker happened to be the CEO of a, of a fake company. Remember, these people make stuff up. Um, and so it's understandable that, um, you know, this stalker was in this position. He's also extremely arrogant. And, and, and it was notable that uh, often CEOs um, are psychopaths. In fact, they're the number one reason. So with this psychopath coming into the um, um, the psychopath coming in to um, the green room, it made me nervous. Even talking about it right now is making me nervous, I guess. Um, but I, of course, I did get him back. That's another story for another time. Um, but there, but it was comforting to know that you know what—that's the behavior that he was going to do. And and I felt badly. The fellow who gave me this comment on YouTube actually felt badly. He said, "I have OCD and I can't help myself, and I'm really sorry, and I didn't mean to offend you." And and it was absolutely fine. It didn't matter at all. But we have another other jobs that um, where there's you where you might find psychopathic people, salespeople, uh, lawyers. Um, we also might see them in surgeons. We might see them in the operating room. And journalists, police officers, clergy, clergymen, chefs, and civil servants. And the very last one, which I hate to even mention, radio personalities. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the actual final stroke of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here. I have a couple of emails I want to read to you, and then I want to talk to you about why divorce may be harder on men. Here's the email. First of all, dear Maureen, it's been 10 years since my wife and I had intercourse. That's when she had a full hysterectomy, and since then I can't penetrate her. She has no interest in sex, getting surgery, or talking to a sex therapist. I brought up that I didn't know what to do. It came out the idea of me going to a prostitute, but she was very hurt. I don't want any meaningful relationship other than my wife. For men, sex can be just sex. Thank you for that tidbit. Um, you know what? She's had a full hysterectomy, which means her ovaries have been removed, which means she is no longer producing estrogen. Estrogen is the hormone regulator of the vagina. It provides for the lubrication and moisturization, which adds to the elasticity of the vagina, which is dynamic. And so many women will experience painful sex. And so I recommend a personal moisturizer, which can be in the form of coconut oil. It can be um, a, a hormone-free product. There is one um, available at London Drugs. It is called Fem, and it's hyaluronic acid, uh, vitamin E, and it is actually in a preloaded syringe, and it goes inside. And so I like that in particular. Um, there are some other products. There's um, a... a, a um, a suppository that can be inserted into the vagina that is also hormone-free. There's also low-dose localized estrogen therapy, which is um, in the form of a tablet, a ring, or a cream. Those require a prescription. There is also laser therapy for women that is available in gynecological 
gynecologist's office. Uh, one is called the Mona Lisa Touch. And um, and so that is available as well. Speak to your doctor about that. And then you don't need to take any low-dose localized estrogen therapy. And it's um, basically ablative therapy. And there's three treatments. It's harmless. Uh, and it's, it doesn't cause any side effects. And you can do it on your lunch hour. Um, and so I would recommend that getting treatment for that because women with vaginal dryness or vaginal atrophy or genitourinary syndrome of menopause or, or surgical menopause uh, can actually get other symptoms. It's a medical condition, not necessarily just related to sex. So you can also get recurrent urinary tract infections. You can get urosepsis and actually die from it. So this is a really important subject. And you know what? In order to get interest in sex, you got to have sex. So that's important. I would not let that one go. I do want to talk to you as well about um, men and divorce because breakups are actually tougher on men. And there's a number of studies recently that demonstrate that men are less steady on their own than women are. We know the stereotype, the men are the cheaters, men are the ones that leave the relationships. Not true. Um, Men typically don't leave uh, a a relationship. They may find sex outside of the relationship, um, but they will remain in their sexless marriage. Um, But we also uh, look to women and think they just dive into um, ice cream or insanity after the breakup. And and some women certainly can do, uh, but that's not necessarily the case because men crave relationships in marriage as much as women do. What's more is that women may end more unions than men. I had a, uh, a client and I said to him, you never would have gotten divorced had she not initiated that. And he said, you're absolutely correct, but I'm so glad she did. Um, women uh, initiate more divorces than men, and that is according to research by Hewitt uh, from 2000 and his colleagues from 2006. Um, also, Portman um, uh, also uh, demonstrated that um, research as well. And there's also little gender difference in which spouse has an affair preceding a divorce. And women, on average, may suffer less post-breakup. And that is in part because women have more friends, um, women have uh, that they can talk about. Marital happiness is actually a bit higher for men than women. And the protective health effect of marriage is also larger for men, according to research from Rendell and Wu. In other words, men may be happier in their marriages than women, and men may have more to lose in a divorce or breakup when it comes to health or their happiness, in part because divorce is associated with worsening physical and mental health, which affects men more than women. The negative health effects are not something to sneeze at. In fact, men are more likely than women to develop suicidality after a separation. And women may actually experience health benefits from breaking up. So when when we see women and men sleep in separate bedrooms, women actually report that they um, that their quality of sleep has improved. But what, why are these breakups harder on men? Well, one of the things is, is women direct the health care in a home. And so women actually encourage healthy lifestyles, such as cutting down on tobacco and alcohol use. And so this healthy behavior is encouraged by the woman in your life quite often. And without this positive influence, divorced men may rapidly fall back into those old unhealthy habits, thinking it doesn't matter. They may actually get to depression much faster. And, um, you know, men report when they have a problem, 71% of married men 
would go to their wife if they had a problem, whereas only 39% of women will select their husband uh, to, to talk to about a problem that they have. That's because many women have a, many, many married women have a very diverse network of emotional support. And that's in terms of girlfriends. We have way more girlfriends and we actually talk to girlfriends about issues and problems that we're having. But men typically don't talk to other men about their issues because men, that's the F word for men. They're not allowed to, they're socialized not to talk about um, these issues. It's not to say that men don't have friends or family, but they are less accustomed to seeking help because remember, women are the ones that go to doctors and to go to therapists and go to counselors in order to deal with some of um some of life's issues. There's some evidence also that men are neurochemically predisposed to finding breakups more difficult than women and to resist seeking help from friends. So divorced women are less likely than divorced men to remarry, but in the short term, it may be harder for men than women to rebound with a new partner. And there's a number of reasons for that. Um, Online dating sites have an excessive amount of men on them, but unfortunately, a lot of those men on those dating sites are married. (laughs) So that's another show. That's another segment. Um, But there is a gender gap in remarriage, and it may be due to opportunity. Women may not have as many opportunities as, as men. So many women, especially widows, but also divorced women with children, don't want a second go at marriage. In fact, some women will be like, I never want to get married again. The experience may have been so difficult. But um, but just to say, if you're having a difficult time, you're a man, you're separated, you're divorced, having marital problems, you know, it's okay to seek help and um, it can be extremely beneficial um, for you to seek help. Speak to your doctor, speak to a friend, speak to somebody that you do, in fact, trust. And, uh, and so thank you so much for being uh, here with me on the program tonight. I really appreciated uh, it. And remember, you can go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. Follow me on Twitter at backthenumber2thebedroom. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.